Today's episode is brought to us by BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's exactly what you would write in the sand if you were stuck on an island, right? H-E-L-P, help. And then you see the helicopter go by, you start waving. BetterHelp is that helicopter. They are the ones that will save you. They will pick you up. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? I know for me, it's been a sense of feeling inadequate or uh, afraid of expressing my needs. Because like, if I express my needs and they say no and they find out what I really want, they're going to leave and I'll be abandoned and I have to start all over again. And, and also just comparing myself to other people. Every time I compare, I get on social media and I see the, the amazing life that other people are living, it just makes me want to just curl up and stop doing everything that I'm doing. But BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. Now, I understand when you are in uh, despair and, and you are spiraling, you just feel like the last thing I want to do was talk to anybody, but it's the best thing to do. When, when I was in trouble, when I couldn't see my way through the, the, the thickness, through the darkness, it was talking to someone, especially a professional therapist that guided me through. I still have a therapist. I have not only my own therapist, but I have a couple's therapist. So me and my girlfriend have a therapist. Like, therapy, talking to someone is so beneficial, but it doesn't feel like it when you're in the midst of it. Now, I want you to remember that is not a crisis line. Better help is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp is not the right solution for you if you have thoughts of hurting yourself or others. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room with, as with traditional therapy. You could kick back at the crib at your house in Sukasa and get your therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And here's the kicker, ladies and gents. Financial aid is available. That's right. But you, ain't, you don't have to go to college. College ain't the only one doling out financial aid. BetterHelp has financial aid because BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily, right? Check them out. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Leo. That's right. I got a slash before the name. Go to BetterHelp.com forward slash Leo. That's better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer. Here's a special offer. Check this out. Right, this, just, this just came in just now. Special offer for my Before You Kill Yourself listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. That's right. Just for tuning in, just for being a, a friend, uh, an ally, uh, just somebody who I could just, who I enjoy spending my time with, 10% off your first month if you go to betterhelp.com forward slash 
Leo. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Alicia Dillon, who is a comedian uh, from Vancouver and who now lives in the Bay Area. Welcome to the podcast, Alicia. Hi. How are you? Oh, there she is. I'm good, thank you. How's it going? Fantastic. How do you pronounce your name? Alicia Dillon. Alicia or Alicia? Alicia? Alicia. Alicia. All right. Alicia Dillon. And then uh, where are you right now, Alicia Dillon? I'm in Vancouver, BC, Canada. Oh, yeah, because I saw on your Instagram it said Vancouver and then it said Bay Area. So I'm imagining you're going back and forth. Yeah, exactly. My parents live there and I grew up in the Bay Area, but I've been in Vancouver for like a decade. Oh, fantastic. Crazy to say. Uh, yeah, you didn't think you were going to be there as long as you were. No, huh? no, definitely not. What, what was the original plan? I was just going to go to school, find myself a little. And then when I was graduating, actually, was the year Trump got elected. And I think I was like, I'm just going to wait and see how it pans out. <laughs> you, you, were the one, you were the one person who was like, I'm going to go because of the election. And you actually did it. And, and now you've fallen <laughs> in love with Vancouver. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> what um, what about Vancouver is so alluring to you, right? and and like, how have you found your people there? Yeah, it's definitely like, it's a really lovely city. It's not huge, so you definitely kind of can make a community for yourself. And I grew up in San Jose specifically, which is like, it's not San Francisco. It's it's hardly a city in my opinion. It's very like, there's not much to do. So for me, it was like a new world when I came to Vancouver. And I feel like I didn't really engage with the city very much when I was very young. I was just sort of, you know, bookworm, kind of isolated. And then comedy the last few years is where I actually started to experience the city properly. So that's, I'm starting to now get over it, but that's why it took so long. Uh, comedy at this, was this part of you finding yourself getting into comedy? I mean, I guess to an extent, I more like making myself, I would say it was more of just like a, a challenge. And I kind of wanted to, you know, be excited about something. And then the immediate like gratification and pride that comes from pushing yourself into a new realm was so addictive. Uh, gratification, addiction, those are all my favorite buzzwords. I, I, I'm oh, great. Food, drug, sex, alcohol, all the things. Um, but you, you seem to have found a healthy addiction. Do, 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 you not, do you not have any unhealthy addictions? I mean, I guess it depends what you define as unhealthy. <laughs> um, I, I don't particularly engage in alcohol. I, I do. I'm a big fan of marijuana. So I guess that's a vice in a sense. But that really kind of just, you know, keeps me grounded for myself. But yeah, other than that, I, I would say like uh, self-destruction <laughs> is probably something I'm addicted to. But we're by, by on way it. of what? 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 When you say self destruction, please <laughs> tell me more. Sure, sure. I guess um, I've been very. Uh, I sort of try to adapt to other situations and other energies. I grew up in a household where I was like very much the small and kind of quiet one, and like you know, sort of giving everyone else their their needs and kind of neglecting my own. And I feel like I'm still learning how to you know, focus on what I need and what I want. And I feel like that's been like my biggest hurdle is just trying to figure out how to put myself first. 
you know, when you, yeah, it's so true. When you spend a childhood of putting everybody else's needs first, then you kind of lose the practice and connection to what your own needs are. And now, how old are you now, Alicia? I'm 27. Tw- yeah, 20, 27. And now you're like, wait, what do I need? What do I want? And that is really confusing to separate your needs from what like society is telling you that you need. Uh, exactly. Do, do you have like 10 siblings? Like, how big was this household? It was just me and my brother at home. I, I do have a half sister, but she didn't grow up with us. So it was more just, yeah, kind of dancing around everyone else. And I think it's interesting that you kind of, I had the opportunity when I left home to grow out of that. And I feel like I found people who liked that I put them first and kind of enabled that for, so it was even a longer process until now finding people that are like, hey, like you matter too. And that's pretty lucky. It is lucky to discover that you matter also. How and what ways are you putting yourself first now? Are you like having spa days and, you know, getting massages? I don't feel any sort of shame around my like weed use anymore. So that's probably the one thing is that like if I want to do it, I do. And I don't let anyone judge me, at least not out loud. And then the other thing I would that I've been doing is prioritizing stand-up because that feeling afterward is like everything yeah because it's the one time now you spent your whole life listening to everybody else and now you get to share your thoughts uninterrupted right and (laughs) usually (laughs) a heckler too squeezes in there some drunk person who who, you know thought the show was going to be about them for sure what do your parents think about you doing stand up? They're stoked. I mean, I know my dad like can't really believe it yet. And everyone's seen me except my dad because I haven't done any like big theaters. It's just mostly bar shows or smaller rooms where I would see him and I'd have to make him watch me say what I'm saying. So I've sort of kept that separate, but they're really excited. I mean, everyone says the same thing. We're just like, oh, I could never do that. You're so brave. But all of us who actually do it know that you just do it once and that's kind of you either need it or you don't. And doing it once is kind of what separates us. Uh, you know, I like that you said you either need it or you don't. That's so true because that, that dopamine hit, that those endorphins, and um, it, it takes me a while to come down from that after a show. How do you come down, like, you know, from the excitement of performing? Oh, man, that is, that's a great question. I feel like I, I just don't. Lately, I've been sort of, like, letting it, be and trying to like either if I can't fall asleep I'll start writing then because that's kind of when I'm most inspired is after the show so a lot of times it'll be like that midnight to 3 a.m window where like I'm the most productive because I've come home from a show there are a lot of times where I have to get up at six so on those days I will occasionally use like a sleep meditation those are usually pretty effective but I have been trying to just kind of lean into it because that is also the most fun I have is like that window. I mean, obviously performing itself is great, but that hang after with the the group or going home and just like basking in it. Those are like the best moments. Yeah. I was just listening to this book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. and, And they were talking about how important it is to have a social support group and, and comedy definitely can provide that. I mean, yeah, we're a, we're a bunch of misfits and, and, you know, kids with unmet needs, uh, you know, trying to get it from the audience, but, uh, collectively 
we're, we're very smart and creative and, you know, we think outside the box and there's just the energy about hanging around comedians and feeling like you can say pretty much whatever you want without, you know, feeling judged, um, as I'm sure you probably experienced as a, as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. It's been such a different world to have those people and like kindly, uh, kind of have finally found my tribe. And I mean, I've experienced groups before in my life and it's always been fun, but this is just completely next level where like, I feel very understood and we all joke about how we have a hard time hanging out with like non-comedians or I call them muggles because it's just like you have so much fun with your friends and then you go hang out with someone from high school and they tell you a 10 minute long story with no punchline and you're like are you kidding me <laughs> so yeah <laughs> uh, are you the only one in your family that's funny that uh, or <laughs> did does grandma have a few jokes up her sleeve Oh, everyone's got their jokes, especially when you start stand up. Everyone's like, oh, so this happened to me. I'm sure it's material for you. And you're just like, how, what am I supposed to do with this? My dad's always been kind of known as the funny one in his groups and his social circles. So I can tell he has a special place of pride for it. Uh, so you're, you grew up in, where'd you say you grew up again? San Jose, California. San Jose, California. What was school like for you? Did you have a tribe then? Did you have a group of friends there? What was that like? Yeah, I had a few friends, to be honest. It changed a lot throughout high school where it was like my best friend would get a boyfriend, so I'd have to get a new best friend. And the groups would sort of change based on like, you know, scheduling things. But it just was never quite that space where I felt like fully open. And I don't think that was anyone else's fault. I think it was just still I hadn't learned how to you know, express what I really wanted, let alone chase it. And that came so much later. I feel like I was still very sheltered and, you know, emotionally you know, un invulnerable is kind of where I was. So mom school. didn't have a sex talk with you is what you're telling me. <laughs> there they was no had birds it, but it was so unnecessary at that time in my life. <laughs> well, how old were you? Three? Like, what do you mean? Or were you, or were you 19? Oh, man, I would say it was uh, 16 or 17. But that was like, I didn't date until college. It was, I mean, I kind of like to pretend that it was because people knew my dad and brother, but probably not. My dad taught fifth grade. So everyone who went to elementary school with me knew my dad. And then middle school, my brother was like, tallest guy, basketball player, people knew him. But in high school, only like 30% of the people knew about my family and everyone else just wasn't interested. <laughs> so it was like, yeah. So it sounds like your brother was the cool kid. Did you feel like uh, you were being compared to him a lot? Definitely by teachers and stuff. And it was sometimes a good thing where it was like, oh, it's Nick's sister. And like, I get seniors to talk to me when I'm a freshman. Or it was like a teacher that just hated him. And they'd see my name and be like, oh, are you Nick's sister? And I'd stupidly say yes. And then they were just out, had it out for me the rest of the year. Oh, he was a bit of a troublemaker. He was the cool it kid did, troublemaker. For sure. He was Got the drunk. He'd sit there with his Game Boy in class and just be like, whatever, what are you going to do? And apparently what they were going to do is take it out on me three years later. You, you know, it, it is a like the catch-22 of being in a small town, right, where it's cool that you, you feel connected and, and people know you. And then on the flip side, if they know you or associate you with the wrong thing, then it's hard to shake that. Absolutely. It's so funny because um, growing up and even like in high school, especially in when my brother wasn't there anymore, the last three years of my high school, he was not there. People still associated me with me, me with him. 
And now that I'm doing stand-up and he's meeting people, he, it went from me being Nate's sister to him being Alicia's brother. He's not taking it well, but it is interesting how that flipped. Oh, yeah, he, yeah, he got the old demotion. That's, that's <laughs> not acceptable exactly. at all, right? So your, your dad teaches, what does your mom do? My mom works at, she's done a, a few odd things, actually. Um, her uh, degree and passion is in interior design, but she works in property management at the moment. Wow, passion and interior. So uh, the creative gene sounds like it came from your mom's side then. I would say so. I mean, my dad was always like a little bit of a poet amongst his friends and with my mom, like he'd write love letters. And I found a couple poems recently, which were horrifying. But so I would say it's kind of from both sides. But my dad was always like the thinker, the writer. And my mom, like hers was more like, you know, an art. Oh, my God. How cool was that to read poems from your dad? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it, was, it was pretty rattling, to be honest. Oh, it was more salacious than romantic, huh? Well, it was it was very superficially salacious. But like when you read between the lines and you're just like, oh, my God, is that what he meant? And it is. Yeah. Uh, that, it's so funny. Yeah, it's kind of like when, when I watch uh, cartoons from my childhood now and I'm like, oh, these are violent. Like, why is he oh, yeah. with an anvil? Like, that's not appropriate. You know, uh, that kind of thing. I, yeah, I was just at Barnes and Noble looking at um, looking for this book called Love Letters by Great Men because I thought it would be, you know, pretty cool to read Michelle, my girlfriend, uh, love letters, you know, at bedtime. Ooh. And then I'm reading them and, and like these love letters were horrible. Like these guys, <laughs> these guys were like, <laughs> I mean, they're almost more ratchet than like, you know, rap music. Like Napoleon was like, uh, you wretched woman, where art thou? You out <laughs> salivating, you know, I said salivating, uh, um, but commiserating with, with some other wretched brethren, you know, like I was yeah, like, damn, they didn't and have then, anything to nah. use. So it was just their words. So they had to create a whole, you know, image with, oh God, I'm grossing myself out. Well, I, I mean, that's what's so funny about it, right? Because we think of profanity as being so bad, but I got to tell you, without profanity, they were pretty profane <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah, i was like wow. they found a way. yeah <laughs> but then again napoleon probably wasn't the best letter to start with you know i mean no, what was i not. expecting from a guy who slaughtered <laughs> millions of people all right <laughs> you're expecting a visionary which yeah. is not <laughs> well i figured since it was in a book i was like well surely they compiled the best love letters yeah, so I think the editor, now that I think about it, the editor should be fired. Like that, there was no way. Because <laughs> I read that was it. in fact his best, which is possible. Yeah, because I started reading it to Michelle and she just like slowly distanced herself from me. And I was like, all right, this is having an opposite effect. <laughs> just FYI, I'm reading this for the first time too. Like I didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought I could just do a blind read. Like I'm gonna knock this. Like, yeah, this I'm, easy points right here. And then I, as I'm reading, I'm like, oh my god, like what? Tell me this gets better. This might no. not be helping me at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she just kind of slinked away. I was like, I'm gonna go for a walk now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where Where are your parents from, e ethnic wise? Yeah, for sure. My dad's from India, Punjab specifically, and my mom is also like of Indian uh, descent, but she was born and raised in Fiji. So it was like generations back, they were originally from India, but Indian it's, and Fijian. It's so funny because I've been doing a lot of yoga, like Bikram and all this. 
and and then I find out like in India they don't do as much yoga as as like Americans think that they do because like their whole life is just like mobile like you know when you I've never been to India but I've been to like Thailand and all these different um all these different Asian uh areas and their lifestyle is just one of mobility and activity so they don't have to take a class right, right. like I think what was it like in Japan or, or China? I forget which one of those countries where like you have to literally squat to use the bathroom like there's no toilet you just squat over a hole and then totally. like, a lot of parts of India right? are that way as well Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, you don't have to take a class to open up your hips because you went <laughs> to the bathroom three times that day. Like that's that's enough, you know. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> do you practice yoga at all? No, actually, I I haven't. I, I've gone to like the odd class with my sister, but I actually think it might have been at least ten years since that happened. Um, I definitely need it, and I'm a bit more like um, involved with meditation and stuff like that. But yoga has always kind of evaded me. I, and I need it. I really, I'm terribly always in pain and I'm too young to have this many physical issues. And pain from sports or uh, from Just terrible up? posture. Like how bad are yeah. these hecklers? Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I just haven't really been very mobile because now I work at a desk and I also just kind of hang around and spend time with my friends. So there's just definitely something that needs to be done about that and yoga might be a good low impact option actually yeah because vancouver i don't know what part of vancouver you're in but i i was we actually were just there maybe six months ago and it's like depending on where you are but for the most part it's a great city to walk around especially i don't know what that waterfront area is but beautiful uh walking areas and uh, it feels safe and clean Mm -hmm. Uh, for the most part do you feel you feel safe and and clean out there yeah for sure like um the city's definitely gorgeous and there are a lot of pockets of water I'm actually only about 10 minute walk away from um the west side um so it's really really nice and there's like little pockets of not so lovely (laughs) sites um that's actually expanded a little bit over COVID where like people have kind of been running amok and so it's slightly less safe like I would say um just three nights ago, there was a, a couple of shootings and stuff is definitely starting to occur, but it is still like a very lovely, beautiful city. And I do live on like the safest side of downtown. Wow. Yeah. Activity, movement. That's the, you know, the downside of like being a writer and intellectual is you you, you get addicted to the writing and the, and the creating. And then um, and so but that requires some sitting. But, I, you know, I have found in my practice that going from sitting to movement back to sitting, you know, like that kind of back and forth, that ebb and flow, it keeps like the creative juices going versus I used to be like, I'm going to sit here for eight hours. And and now I'm like, no, no, it's good to sit, walk, sit, walk, sit, you know. Totally. And you thing. can get it re-inspired when you go out in nature. And that's so important. I mean, I've been lazy because it's super hot right now, but I've. I'm inspired by this conversation. I'll walk around afterwards. <laughs> no, but you're right. It's if you're gonna go for a walk, this heat wave is no joke. I I was about to go to the store today and it was like 90 degrees, and I was like, nope, I'll wait yep. till six. And then yesterday we got a flash flood, and I in San Diego, it's just been weird. The weather's been, yeah, it's it's been it's been wonky. 
these past yeah I try not to think about it too much because I am definitely aware of what's occurring but you know just enjoy the hot pockets and I don't know so uh, do you stay off the news like how you know it's one it's you know it's so hard to you we want to be aware of the world around us right uh but at the same time we don't want to be overwhelmed with what's happening in the world how do you find that balance totally that is a very very tricky road to walk um i usually stay away like obviously i'm on social media so the big stuff will still find its way to me if someone doesn't tell me but i i don't really consume any news actively anymore just because like you said it is it's overwhelming it's sad it's frustrating because there's literally not a thing I can do to help the situations I'm seeing. So the you're talking about like moving around and um you know like you're getting sore now you're like I'm 27. I shouldn't feel like this. Did you play any sports in in high school or college? Were you active at all? I very poorly played soccer until about 16, but that did keep me pretty like relatively fit. And then after that when I left home like no one's really been bugging me too much. Like my dad started my brother and I at the gym at like, I think 13. So we were under, we were aware of like how important that is. And I, I don't know if it was like an active rebellion that I've just never fallen into um, consistency with that. Like I've had phases where like three to six months, I'm really, I'm in the gym and then phases where three, four years I'm out. And that's kind of where I'm at right now, but I got to get back in there because it is about three years left to really shape my body before I'm going to just have issues forever or not. So got to get on that. But do you, are you, do you have medical issues, underlying medical issues that need to be addressed? Or are you just no, feeling like the, the tight soreness? Just lethargic. Of- yeah, just the soreness and the, um, I've, I'm pretty, I have pretty fast metabolism. So if it's really windy, <laughs> I'm getting tossed around and I, I just need to have a bit more of a solid grounding. So for me, it's more about like, building strength and just being a bit more of a force to be reckoned with, I guess. When you look back at your childhood, Alicia, what we're talking about unmet needs. What was like an internal or emotional unmet need that you look back and were like, I wish I had gotten more of that or I needed more of that. A quick answer would be, I guess, peace. Um, I had a very volatile household. So there was a lot of, um, just bickering and frustrations aired and that's sort of how I became sort of that really hermity kid because it was like okay well if you know someone has an issue with that person and I don't add to it maybe I can switch the direction of the night before it's too late sort of thing so I would say just like a calm place (laughs) to you know call home that that absolutely makes sense and uh and i understand the going to vancouver right it's yeah. like i gotta bounce i gotta get out the country that's how i felt you know coming out of high school and the college i was like i gotta get out the state i got out it was either going to college or going to the military and th- now mm-hmm. that i look back it's like it's ridiculous to think that i thought the military was going to be more peaceful <laughs> than <laughs> the household that i grew up in is it, or even safer than than the city but uh, Chicago's wild. <laughs> yeah, I've so, heard crazy things. I mean, sometimes it's just that, you know, the consistency and the discipline that the military can give you that might have been so, so alluring for you, but I'm glad. <laughs> no, you're right. Consi- there's this book called Good to Great, and he, and he talks about 
um, what makes a, a company good, you know, become great. And he said the two things are consistency and discipline. Now, what's funny is most of the companies he detailed in the book have since gone under, but uh, but that also but that's always stuck with me of like just keep showing up every day, doing the work, um, and you know you'll that compound interest of just you know doing a little something, writing a little bit every day, exercising, moving your body a little bit every day, meditating a little bit, just all these tiny self-care things that on a daily basis add up more than, you know, being a weekend warrior, you know, because then you become a weekly worrier because, you know, you're, you haven't done anything uh, or you're waiting till the weekend to actually do something when uh, I find it much more calming to do something daily than uh, to be like, oh, I'm going to you know meditate for three hours on Saturday like that totally I um I can't remember where I read it but there was this one piece of writing that really stuck with me and it was talking about the importance of sleep sleeping properly enough hours exercise and meditation and those things like on paper you think that they take too much time well I don't have time to go to the gym I don't have time to meditate but they actually make time because meditation makes you more focused exercise gives you energy and sleep sets you up with fuel as well so I feel like that's definitely very, very true. Yeah. Do you have a sleep routine? I, I, the, my listeners are tired of hearing about my sleep mask and mouthpiece <laughs> and incline pillow and room at 68 degrees. I sleep naked. Like I got a whole. Really? I got a, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, you know, so I found out that my listeners are like, oh, here he goes again. Um, <laughs> that when you sleep with clothes on um, and you sweat, that's what. That's why people get sick, because a lot of times we'll sleep with clothes on, we'll sweat, and then when cool, cold air comes through, we haven't dried off because the clothes don't dry off. And so we're constantly in wet clothes um, while, you know, any type of cold air, cool air is coming through. And then that's, that's why you get sick, where if you sleep naked, your body, you, you might sweat. And then, but your body will dry off faster. So you don't need that moisture wicking clothes. You just got to be naked. Uh, you know, that's the way we were. That's very Everything went downhill once we start putting clothes on. <laughs> everything. Every, all shame about our bodies, it's you know, uh, weight issues. As soon as we put clothes on, it was a wrap. As soon as we ate sugar and put clothes on. Yeah, sugar's a, a big one too. Oh, man. I'm a huge addict to sugar. It's the one thing that I, I have no intention of stopping either. It's just I've decided whatever sugar get, does to me is going to happen. <laughs> Says she with a fast metabolism. Get out of here. Nobody wants I to can do this for hear a couple about more your years. genetic gifts. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that's true. It is, there's nothing sadder than someone who's like had that fast metabolism for like 40 or 50 years. And then all of a sudden it just slows down to a halt. Then they gain a thousand pounds. Yep. Because there's still uh yeah, there was just an article in the uh in the New York Times today about Skittles and how like there's this I forget what the ingredients ingredient is, is like hydroxy, blah, 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 that's been banned in most countries except America, of course. Of course. Um, yeah. and they're like, yeah, it's linked to some like DNA changing um uh 
you know, like it, it's like degenerative or something like that. So, but what's your food though? What's my like vice and food? Um, well, I just made some cookie dough that I'm excited to bake. And then I also am a big fan of brownies. So I think brownies and cookies are probably number one. Oh, it's titanium dioxide. That That's the uh, ingredient that's like, oh, don't eat Skittles. But, you know, I'm going to say I think the sugar in Skittles is probably like you probably have to eat a lot of Skittles to overdose on titanium dioxide. <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't even I've never even heard that. No, none of us. I mean, yeah, you know. Like why why would any of us be looking for titanium dioxide? That's that's ridiculous. But you said your food is what? Brownies? Yeah, I'm a really big fan of brownies and I I'm such a snob about it too. Where not that I only eat expensive ones, but I'm kind of there's only a few that I think are like worth eating a lot of and so I don't eat everything sweet, but those things that I really like, I eat a lot of those. Oh, yeah. That's right. We all got our, our specifics, right? And, and I think it starts with our childhood. Was Were brownies, was that your first food? Do you remember, like, the first, like, candy or sweet that my mom I can't remember the first. No, I can't really remember the first. And I think I would have been subject to whatever, like, my brother wanted or my mom wanted because they were obviously the ones a little bit more in control but I mean yeah I think cookies definitely were I do remember having them as a kid a lot and it was one of those like Costco run would bring 30 packs of cookies for school and then I just read three books in the weekend and have polished off all of them in one sitting <laughs> oh yeah like yeah fat, when anytime I buy something like that they don't make it home then I'm yeah. like I'm like I got three bags surely one of these bags will make not nah, none of them nope <laughs> no nah. and and if they do make it home they don't make it into the house i just sit in the car until i've eaten it all and then i just then what makes it into the house is the packaging that's, that's totally. about it i feel like i've started to um like things that are supposed to last me two weeks i obviously will eat them in the first day but because I've eaten so much, like a sickly amount, I don't really want it for two weeks anyway. So it kind of, kind of does the job. You're like, it balances out. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do a little cocaine on Monday. I do a lot of cocaine Monday. And then, you know, about a month later, you know, it'll, it'll kick back in. Do another uh, month's worth yeah, on a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least, at least, you know what? It's more important to be aware of what our patterns are. That's, that's what's key here. Right. Um, so sugar is, is your thing that sugar, alcohol, like, oh no, weed, you like weed. weed. So are you an edible? Do you smoke weed? What's your. Both. Um, I think it depends on like when I first had COVID, I actually had to stop smoking for all because my lungs were so impacted. So I kind of started to lean a bit more on edibles, but I, I like the control factor that smoking gives you. Cause you can just stop when you're done. Whereas an edible, you can take way over you expected or feel like you're not high enough and then and then take way more than you expected but i i like both yeah uh, talk to me more about that control factor i mean I, I think part of it is what yields or lends itself to you know experiencing peace when we talk about it um you know i'm in a, a 12-step program and you know, our serenity prayers, like God grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change and uh, 
courage to change the things I can't, whatever. It's, I haven't said it enough, clearly. I was hoping uh, you would know it. Come yeah, on. Yeah. Okay. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Right. Um, okay. And so there's this idea of like being aware of what I can control versus feeling like everything is out of control, which is what can happen if we read the news or are inundated with, you know, negative news or, you know, in chronic pain. Sometimes it just feels like I have, like, I'm sure as a kid growing up, like you may have felt like you had no control over it, like what snacks you're going to eat over your space and time. So it was like, well, I can't express my needs. Everybody else uh, must come first so that we can finally get peace. Totally. I, I agree that weight has definitely helped kind of create that space, especially if I'm doing it um, by myself. And then I just, sometimes it's just the physical act of breathing in deeply. And sometimes it's just like, I probably could have had the same effect with the meditation that I do with smoking a joint, but there is a, a level of um, thought expediting that I experience when I'm smoking weed, especially if it's sativa or I know a lot of people will smoke weed to calm down their thoughts. Sometimes I'll smoke weed and drink a coffee just to really make them go fast. And I feel like that's just such a special pleasure that I have. It's like really starting to, sometimes I'll just realize things quicker. I used to like smoke weed on first dates because I felt like I was just faster to connect, faster to say the thing that's either going to make or break or get them to. And I felt like it was just such a great tool for connection. And that's something that I really obviously enjoy and it helps in every capacity. So for me, it's definitely number one thing. Uh, Does, you know, having the caffeine and and the weed, does that affect your sleep at all? It can. Um, It depends on what time of day or like if, honestly, if I am really rattled by something, then it doesn't matter caffeine or not. I can't sleep and vice versa. If I'm like really tired, caffeine will do nothing almost. So I wouldn't really... I don't usually experience too much of, you know, interruption from that. That being said, I do have really poor sleep and maybe it could use some looking at. Poor sleep as in um, trouble falling asleep or staying asleep. Are you one of those who wake up in the middle of the night? Yeah, I I can usually fall asleep without much issue. It's, It's the staying asleep and proper, you know, hours. It's very sporadic because like sometimes I'll have shows on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Saturday, Sunday, I don't. Or sometimes it's Friday through Monday I have shows. It's just really hard to establish any set pattern. Yeah, because the excitement and the adrenaline from doing the shows, you know, the more shows you do, then your body just starts spiking naturally in anticipation of, you know, having a show. And then when you don't, it kind of leads to this, like, frustration or agitation or something like the body's like getting ready to do something, but you're not doing anything. And the body's like, what the heck's going on? I thought we were going to go do a show. And then you got to figure out what to do with that energy. Exactly. And I often don't do anything with it. So then it just, you know, just interrupts my sleep really regularly. Yeah. So what is your meditation practice? Are you like a nam yo or anger yo or like what's your thing? Um, I would say that my relationship with meditation is similar to that of the gym where there are some times where I'm really on it for six to eight months and then I just fall right off. So I used to get into a state where I didn't need any sort of guided meditating. It was just a timer and, you know, I could just find it. 
lately, since it's much more sporadic, like I'd say maybe three or four times a week max lately is where I'm at. And with that being the case, I do use guided meditations. Now I, I like um, the daily calm a lot. It's on YouTube. It's one of the free ones. Um, yeah. Or I'll just try to do, I, I guess it's not really a mini meditation, but especially before a show, I, I do a lot of like grounding exercises or breathing exercises just to settle and kind of find my grounding essentially before going up there and trying to connect. I absolutely love that. I hope that you're paying for your YouTube because there's nothing more jarring than like a 10 minute meditation and then a Grammarly commercial pops in. Totally. Like just wakes you like, oh, wait, what? Huh? Now I need another one. It's so annoying. Totally. I have an ad blocker for my computer, but on my phone, whenever I'm trying to use it, it's it's that exact thing happens. It's the worst. So what do you, you said you have grounding techniques before you get on stage. What does that look like? Um, so I kind of, uh, I learned a couple of these in acting classes where it was the same thing where you're just trying to kind of get out of your head and into your body, because that's the biggest you know issue people face is they're thinking about how something looks instead of actually experiencing a moment. So for me, I, I usually sort of kind of get up on my tippy toes and I, I do kind of calf raises where I just try to like make sure I'm actually feeling the ground. Um, I lately I've been trying a couple other things where I, I sort of play with my hands and my chest just to get, again, it's getting my focus off of like, oh, am I going to do okay? I'm worrying about that heckler. It's getting my focus into just being. Kind of so, like tapping? Are you are you doing like a tapping yeah, thing? Yeah, well, or? that's a very new one. And I actually just started seeing this one counselor who recommended it to me as like a way to kind of get out of the thought pattern. And it's like you sort of butterfly and you, you pat. Sorry, that's probably terrible for the mic. But you pat a bit. And then you sort of just like brush it off and it's like almost like, cause your skin's the, the biggest organ, right? And you kind of just like dusting off whatever negative vibration might be on you. The other thing I do is like uh, belly breathing. So I'll do like, I'll try to do 10, but sometimes like I don't get up quickly enough and I'll do like three to four is usually sufficient to just, to just kind of bring yourself back into the present moment. Uh, you know what? I love that. It's so interesting. I'm, just now realizing the power of just rubbing my arms or you know rubbing my face or my legs as a way of soothing myself um and you know because i grew up with that shame of i went to a catholic school and and so because you know masturbation was such a like you know you don't do that you're ashamed so this right. idea of touching myself in any kind of way um uh, I felt was like, oh, you don't do that, right? There's shame. And then you you learn through psychology and coping skills that, you know, absolutely like tapping your chest or the chakra uh points for rubbing, you know, your body or, you know, that's why I have a weighted blanket also. Um it really helps to to soothe and calm your nervous system. Totally. That and it it's helped so much. Like there are days where I'll, I'll do a set and I won't have done my sort of pregame and I'll just not be in it and I'll feel it the entire time. But, but now in any um, fast of my life, if I'm like rattled, I'll, I'll just kind of place a hand here and rub because even just thinking about this sensation for a second kind of gives me perspective on whatever's freaking me out because it just removes me from that hyper intense fixation that can occur, just kind of gets you out of that. So I, I definitely, I really rely on that a lot. Well, you know what? That goes back to 
even earlier when I was talking about how clothes has ruined everything because it's taken us away from feeling sensations. And, you know, one of the things that really calms me down is like feeling a breeze, especially like a night breeze. You know, yeah. um, my mom is from Belize and we would sit on a balcony at night and I would just sit out there all, I was almost like a, like a dog with his head out the window, right? Okay. Like just that wind in the face, but like wind is too much for me, but a nice breeze on my skin. Come on. Like that's the best for me. That's the thing. Like some people like love sun on their skin, but I like that breeze, that night. Breeze. I definitely oh. like both. There's something about it for sure. I remember when I was first starting and the nerves were really, really overwhelming. They still can be, but not to that quite thin extent. And I would just kind of do a laugh around the venue outside just to breathe it in. Sometimes I practice, but sometimes it would just be like, okay, just feeling the fresh air and knowing that this is happening, whether or not this performance goes well, this is still right here and, you know, available. I know in some uh, parts of the Indian culture, arranged marriages are common. Uh, did you, were your parents in arranged marriage? No, my they parents were a, a love match, they call it. <laughs> it's a funny love how match? Like, it's Indian culture is so strange. We're like the vegetarian um, population is so much bigger than meat eaters that they refer to foods in two categories, veg and non-veg. And it's interesting because like arranged marriages were so common that like that was kind of the, the standard arranged. And then there's a love match, which is like special, different. So like they met like at a park or... Yeah, friends. my parents, um, so it was actually because um, even though they're both technically Indian, um, my dad being Punjabi and my mom being Fiji and Hindu, that's a big enough rift that like it wasn't super uh, supported, I guess, on either side. But they met at my uncle's wedding, my mom's cousin's wedding, and he had gone to school with my dad. So they met there and my dad likes to tell me that he was actually interested in my aunt. And he'll always kind of bring that up that he was going for the other one, but then him and my mom connected and actually, you know, started seeing each other. But his initial, he was more uh, interested in my aunt, which is hilarious now because they're not really close at all. That is so funny. I know, you know what? But that's that speaks to this idea that there isn't the one for any of us, right? Like you, you meet somebody and hopefully you know you put the work in and and you connect and maybe you live happily ever after but uh you know if you do it doesn't mean that that person was the only one for you you may have been able to you know find somebody else and like i look up the people who've been married five times you right like i'm like there's nothing that speaks to hope like <laughs> than being married Five, you know, so because you know, some people get married and get a divorce, and they're just like, "Oh, marriage is horrible." And then other people are like, "Well, you just got to get back on a horse." And so, uh, you know, shout out to to anybody who you know gets married through an arranged marriage or even through a love match. I mean, there's just no recipe for love or marriage. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you said is very true. Like, there's no singular the one. There's the one that you're both willing to put in the work right? It's just a matter of if you can compromise and understand what the other person needs and be willing to take that into consideration in your most heated moments. And it is, it's very interesting. So, I mean, you're, you're 27 and you're in Vancouver, um, you know, being a, a female comedian, 
with a uh, I'm assuming you have kind of a sharp tongue because you're you're very intelligent. How's dating for you at this stage in your life? I yeah, mean, the fact that, that you're like, you got to like, I, I need some performance enhancing drugs before I go on a first <laughs> date. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I actually I have a boyfriend. He he and I met doing comedy um, almost two years ago now, actually. He currently lives in London, England. So we're in the midst of a really trying long distance relationship. However, I think we found ways to like really make it work despite the time difference and all the millions of other things that make it difficult. Um, and I think for us, it's very much that we started with standup and it was like right during the pandemic where we met. So it was like all we had was those few standup shows and like no other real work was happening. And we're just, we just share that passion. So like now if I do a set, like I'll send him if it's, he's usually asleep when I'm performing and, um, He'll like call me after a set if I'm still up and vice versa. And we just kind of share those sort of progress reports and those feelings because we both connect so strongly and viscerally can understand what the other is going through with a bad set or a good set. And I um, I do feel really lucky to be kind of with someone because there is a definite amount of attention that comes with being um, a girl in a primarily male realm as well as just going out and being at loud bars with drunk people always someone wants to say something so I, I do actually talk about my boyfriend a lot on stage not so much to like deter anyone but it, it's just a nice bonus that it usually does that but yes <laughs> um at I forgot the question I was going to ask because there was something you brought up you're talking about dating long distance oh how do you process um, a quote unquote bad set. And I'm asking this because, you know, I have listeners who are perfectionists and mm -hmm. if they, they study, they work hard, they plan, they prepare, they do all the things and somehow they still get an A minus or they get a C or the relationship crumbles or they lose their job. And it could just seem like the world is coming to an end. Uh, and even my, for myself, I have a bad set and I'm just like, I mean, like I can only see red and I, it's, <laughs> I mean, my world view becomes very small. How do you cope with having a, a, a quote unquote bad set? It's one of those things where I can advise anyone about it, having experienced it. But when it comes down to having the moment myself, I still fall into that same trap of like, oh, this last set defines me. And it, it sucks so much because for myself, I, I'm very self-critical. So I'll either have a great set, but good, mediocre, they don't exist to me. It's just great or I call it a bomb. And I've, I've been like sort of hounded by my friends before. It was like, you can't call that a bomb. It was just not amazing. And it's like, okay, well, it still feels like a bomb. Um, I think the best treatment for a bad set is go do another one as soon as possible. If you can't do it that night, the next night or two nights within and then try to have like a new joke just to kind of either up the stakes or change the way you are, you know, enunciating something. Because I feel like for me, the... At the beginning, obviously, I was, you know, new and not as good. But now when I have a core set, it's because I'm not excited about what I'm saying. And it's because I, you know, I've either not mixed it up in a while or I was too focused on the end result and not being present. So 
for me, I would say definitely just get back on there and know that it doesn't define you. Your next set defines you, not the last one. Oh, you, you know, there's so many things I love about what you just shared because one is get back on it, right? You get a divorce. I, and I get so much wisdom from my Uber drivers. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I swear, like... <laughs> I'll my take Uber that as driver. a compliment because we're mostly Indian. <laughs> yeah, are they? <laughs> uh, my my one Uber driver told me uh, to invest in Bitcoin when it was just a thousand dollars, and I didn't listen. I was like Bitcoin, whatever. And then I saw it at seventy thousand, and I was like, Oh, that that guy is no longer driving Bitcoin, I, or he's no longer driving yeah. Uber. Like he's he's in a jet somewhere, hanging out with Richard Branson on an island. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but I remember, um, one Uber driver, like he lost his wife to like cancer or alcoholism. I think it was actually like both. And then he married her sister and then, uh, she died and then he got married again. And, and so like, and I've met like two or three Uber drivers who have just like been that person to just, you know, they don't waste any time. There's no gap. Like they they, yeah. they fall off one horse onto another horse. They're not even, they don't even hit the ground. You know, they just kind of keep going. Not everybody's built like that. Some people, yeah. you know, they get a divorce and they go, I'm done. But I see your face lighting up. Like <laughs> there are so many things that went through my mind. I, I definitely have always been very solo. Like I've been single most of my life. This recent relationship has been going great, but it's, before that, I was like, pretty much I had one relationship and I'm 27. So that's now two. So I definitely I'm very shocked. But if your Uber drivers were of Asian descent, like I'm suspecting, it is like a cultural thing to kind of have certain, you know, uh, needs that just aren't met when you're by yourself. Like the, a lot of the times, like cooking and cleaning, all those things, like you almost need a wife because you don't know how to do it. Like I remember when my grand my grandma died, I was not alive, but my grandpa remarried very quickly because he needed care. And that's kind of how they brought over my step grandma when that happened. But it is oftentimes a very quick turnaround. Both my grandpas um, were widowers. Is that what it's called when their wife dies? And very quickly got married again. You know what? That makes sense. This is exactly why Leo Flowers has not been married because my mom raised me to be very self-sufficient where I know how to cook clean. I know how to do, I can play. I, I got both sides. Like there's, there's great. you know, well, not so much because my, my girlfriend, uh, I'm sure she wants to get married, but I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't need, I don't, need I don't have you. any, yeah, I don't really need you. <laughs> it's good though, because it makes you a good partner because you actually understand the work that goes into cooking and cleaning and you yeah, would have more respect for someone if they took that on. Whereas, in my culture, it's expected. And now it's like we have, you know, a lot of women are working and doing all that. So it's two jobs and there's no recognition or acknowledgement. It's just expected. Oh, yeah. I definitely appreciate uh, the, the work that she puts in and, um, you know, the flowers and the car. Sometimes I leave a little card somewhere for her to find or, you know, we, we got to do that weekly dinner. Just a little, Good. you know, thank you. Guys. Yeah, for sure. The, uh, but what I also love, and I thought this was interesting, you talked about upping the stakes. Um, tell me more about that, because that's interesting in that I think a lot of times after 
we experience a, a a perceived loss, right? Where maybe we think we failed a thing or we did fail a thing or we lost something. Uh, we beat ourselves up about it and we just get into this blame and uh, shame spiral. But so upping the stakes, tell me what that means to you as a response to, to bombing. I just feel like in my own experience, the biggest issues I have with a set is I did the same thing for people who maybe some of them had heard it and the crowd was small, like if it was more comics and guests in attendance and that's where the bomb came from. Or if it was um, in the moment, I was too nervous to engage with that heckler. But then later on, I was like, oh, I should have said this. I should have said that. And that can take days <laughs> of just reflection and over and over. But I guess what I mean by up the stakes is force yourself to be present in whatever way possible. And for me, like telling a brand new joke, I have to be present or the wordings get tossed in the wind. So there's just more on the table, I guess, when you have your kind of showcase that when you build your first five minutes and it's just killing everywhere, it's very hard to expand because, you know, now it's like you're vulnerable again. Is this going to be funny? Is this going to be good? But that's exactly how you grow. And that's also how you get excited again, because for me, I know that when I'm not doing well, it's because I was not pumped on what I was saying. And that happens from just doing the same thing over and over. Oh, that's great. You know, so, you know, when I'm thinking about somebody who maybe have, has lost their job and it's like, go, you know, you know, if you lost your job as a dishwasher or CEO, it's like apply for a bigger job, apply for something that you know, you're like, I might get the job, but I, I probably won't. But there's just the excitement of even applying, just the audacity, like do yeah. something audacious, like I love so, that. so ridiculous and outrageous. Like you did what? How, how dare you think you could possibly, it's like, you know, if, if you're, if you're, if your <laughs> wife was a seven, go up to a 10. And, you know, go up to a supermodel, go up to a, a, totally. a married. Yeah. Find you a married supermodel. No, I'm joking. <laughs> don't do that. You don't want to get beat up, but <laughs> up the stakes. I, I love that because then that kind of resets your threshold for it to handle something a little bit higher the next exactly. time versus trying to go back and get the same thing you just got. Yeah. And you, you're never going to get higher than that point. And it's exactly. just diminishing returns. The quickest way out of your comfort zone is the way you should take. I feel like. Yeah, go, go towards the, the run towards the storm. I love that. But then I also love that you mentioned like new jokes, right? Like change your approach, change you know the the questions you ask on a date, or you know what you wear, or you know your routine before or whatever. Change something about it because goes back to what you're in control of think about oh okay how can i approach this differently and ask somebody you know don't be a, sometimes i think that sometimes when we experience a failure or a struggle and this is what's great about the comedy community is that a lot of times other comedians will surround us and say hey why don't you try this or did you try that or that joke didn't work because you didn't set it up with this blah 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 and so to to not be afraid to share our struggles with somebody else so that we can get feedback as to how we can approach it differently. Totally. Um, Alicia, I know that your time is, is valuable, uh, but that you love to read. 
what's a book that you read that you wish you would have read sooner? If there is the War that of book, Art. Tell me more. Yeah, great, great book, Stephen Pressfield. I'm actually so glad that you brought up a few titles because I, I feel like I don't meet a lot of readers anymore. Um, that one was super special. I, I almost kind of, uh, I reread it pretty regularly. And it's just because so much in there is so directly related to your life as an artist. Have you read that one? Oh, yeah. I okay. got that on the I, shelf. I you yeah, you got have. some highlights yeah. and red marks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think there was just something so important about seeing that, like, you have to show up every day. Like, things don't change when you're doing them once a week or once a month. It's a matter of showing up every day. And it, and the act of sitting down being harder than the act of writing, like, that was also a really impactful sentiment that I took away from that. I was like, oh, okay, I keep making a production of the writing process and I do all these things to prepare for it. And then, you know, you just keep, or I kept just skipping the part where you actually write. I was so focused on the prep work and making sure, did I eat properly? Did I, is my place clean? Is it cluttered? I, I should probably address that first. And then it's, you know, it's past the time where you can get anything done. And I, I lived in that for years and I still fall into it. Like procrastination has always been my biggest, biggest issue. And I felt like this book really, really like nailed it on the head with like what that actually is in terms of resistance and how important it is to show up every day and fight that if you want this. Because if you don't, whatever. There's lots of people who are not cut out to sit there every day and do this thing. And when no one's there with a gun to your head, it's got to be that self-discipline. And I feel like that's been just the quickest way for myself to feel a bit of pride with my work is, oh, okay, I actually had to sit down and do the work. I We've been doing a lot of roast battles lately and I feel like that's such a, a new game and it's so fun because you absolutely can't use material you've already done and you get that immediate feedback when you go up there with a new thing and like that's the most addictive feeling in comedy I feel like so we've had so much fun and like I've had to force myself to sit there for hours just brainstorming writing things the first 20 jokes I write suck, but the second 10 or the, the third 10 or whatever, those are where the magic happens. So like, that's really shown me like tangibly what happens when you put in the work. I love that. We don't like to sit for anything, you know, we don't want to sit to meditate, sit to write, sit and talk. Like we just want to go, go, go. And you're right that we make a, I, I, at least for myself, I make a big production about working out. Like, all right, I got the right clothes, the music. All right. What song am I going to listen to? Uh, what Matt and then I'm so exhausted from the preparation I'm like that was a workout right like that whole oh. the whole preparation thing like finding the mat picking the weight like we're good totally. right like I'm done <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, War of Art yeah I love War of Art Art of War both those books are um, remarkable um, what are you looking forward to Alicia last two um, I okay that's that's a great question I am trying to make a point of always having something to look forward to. I feel like that's, again, just the quickest way to growth. So I'm going to be flying to Edinburgh next week and I'm going to do um, Roast Battle UK. So it's a, it's a fringe show. So I don't think it's televised or anything, but it'll get good exposure and um, just be such an exciting new endeavor because I've only done two battles so far because I kept tiptoeing around it and being sure I couldn't handle any scrutiny but now I'm fully addicted and to go try it in a completely new place with cultural lapses and 
we'll see what happens, but I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, that's going to be so much fun. And uh, I, maybe a lot of rain. I know some years like they get way more rain than other yeah, times I've, I've of heard. the year. For uh, sure. Like it's definitely one of those places where you can get <laughs> rained out no matter what time of day. It seems super warm, raining. Yeah. But it's also why it's so beautifully green there. Like, oh my God, mm. what, uh, which is great uh, unless you have allergies. But um, I do. <laughs> la- you do you have allergies? Yeah, I've got hay fever. It sucks. <laughs> I know they're like, why are you crying? And you're just like, I'm not. I'm just all right. It impacts so much of my life. There's days where like I can't get out of bed, and it's so infuriating. Are you serious? Hay fever. I didn't know hay fever gets like that. Yeah, it can. It definitely can, especially if you're not um, regularly switching up your kind of daily allergy pill, because eventually your body starts to adapt. I think you're supposed to change it twice a year. Um, So if I wait too long to kind of get ahead of that, sometimes I'll have some really really rough days. Or dust attacks. So you can't get out of, like, you just feel swollen? Like, what does it feel like? Yeah, or is it like pain, for, sharp for me, pain? it's just like an endless flow out of my nose. And, like, I'll be blowing it for hours at a time. And then finally, the only the only relief is going to sleep. And sometimes I'll wake up and it's still there. Usually I'll wake up and it's better. And then um, the aftermath of that attack is, my nose has like um, scabs from how many times I was like rough, not roughly, but like just the act of doing that is so uh, invasive sometimes that I yeah. like have to walk around with like scaly nose after finally the allergy attack is over. But I have this other gross thing that I now have to deal with. It's the worst. My oh, brother yeah. and I both have it. Uh, I would definitely uh, be smoking weed too. The anxiety <laughs> of like not knowing when that's going to like pop up. Like totally. that's just like runny, like of all, of all things, like you think about Alec, you think of like acne for teenagers, but like runny, no, like severe runny nose yeah. is something I never like thought it's about. So, it's so embarrassing too. If I'm like out with people and I can feel it starting to happen and I don't realize it until it's occurring. So like, I'll be like mid sentence and it's just like whoosh, stream. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Conversation over. Yeah, I was gonna say, is there like a, a tampon for the nostrils or like some type Honestly, of Honestly, I think that's the next million dollar idea, <laughs> but I don't know how many of us have allergies. Oh, you'd be surprised. I I, <laughs> I don't I I I I I bet you that maybe a a fifth of the of the world population, maybe not hay fever, yeah. but like I think especially as global warming increases and you know, air pollutants and blah, blah, oh, Skittles, yeah. P- people eating that ti- titanium <laughs> dioxide. <laughs> um, last question, Alicia, so that you can get on your plane to Edinburgh. Um, <laughs> I, Cause I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself. What would you say to them? Um, I guess what I would say to myself is always think about your mom because for me that relationship has gotten me through every sort of moment where I was feeling that way. Um, The other thing is I think a lot of people, well, I mean, now I'm sure that's grown, but a lot of people are artists who face that. And I think the thing that's helped me is as an artist, I would ask myself, do I think I've accomplished what I'm here to do? And if not, then I'm not going anywhere yet because there's something that only I can say or only I can 
do that might help someone. So, and I think at our core, all humans are artists, whether it be, you know, in whatever field you're doing art, I think that that's something that can be applicable to anyone is, do you really think you've come done what you've come here to do? Uh, I love that. When did, when did you, you said you felt like that? When did you feel like that? Um, honestly, it's been a long time. I, I think the, the bulk of those feelings are, we're closer to a decade away from having felt. Um, but there'll be like trying times, like when the pandemic first hit and I lost my serving job and like suddenly had no way of making an income. Um, there's just so many moments where it was just like, okay, like, is it easier to just not? And like, is that going to be the thing that makes this feeling of absolute misery and self hatred go away? Can I, I was frustrated with not having set myself up better by that point financially. And I think, yeah, for, for me, my depression always stemmed from not working hard. And I had, uh, in school, I was always like, relatively smart naturally so I never had to work very hard or read the books like I was just spinning book reports out of webs you know it was nothing and um, getting to university I had a hard time with certain classes but then I would just not take those classes and I specialized in English because it came so naturally so every piece of paper that was supposed to mean I accomplished something didn't feel like it to me and I just never really understood why I wasn't happy with myself and I think comedy has really really helped with that because I'm pushing myself and I know I'm doing things that I don't have to do and that feeling afterward of having done something for you know your later self or that you were not you know it didn't you didn't have to do doing something that you didn't have to do is probably the most impactful depression medication I've taken is like just doing something that I'm excited about that I'm passionate about and doing it regularly. And that has been the cure for me. Wow. That's powerful. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey. Thank you so much listeners for tuning in. Remember this podcast is not a substitute for you calling for help. Call the 988. If you're in America, if you're in India or Budapest or Edinburgh, their international phone numbers listed in every single one of the show notes. Uh, you can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. And uh, what was the, the other thing? Oh, betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Get that 10% off. Talk to somebody within the next 48 hours. If you're feeling that misery, that despair, that frustration, uh, there's somebody who can talk to you and guide you through. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Alicia. Thank you, Leo. Take care.